0: Well, good morning again, everybody. Hope that your week went pretty well. Holiday season is quickly approaching and upon us. Definitely, we see our schedules filling up with different activities and get-togethers. There's always a lot of family functions that happen this time of year. Uh, You throw in birthdays to the mix and it just gets kind of crazy. I've got three winter birthdays and it's just, it's always fun to plan those things out. This year looks um, a little dicey. I mean, last year, a lot of our get togethers were canceled because of COVID. This year we have different surges, we have different mandates. And then you always have the family interactions of politics and the mess that is involved with all of that. So again, this year is kind of up in the air, but we try to get together through that mess, through those headaches, because we want to get together. We want to make up for last year. We want to have those connections. And those are very important for us. You know, you throw into the mix the supply chain crisis, inflation that's continuing to rise, and you begin to think about all of the despair that can be around this season. You know, as I think about it, I think of how within the holidays in the last two years, there's been a shift. If you recall, Easter season two years ago, we had the service over Zoom. We were all indoors, locked away and hiding, and I had mentioned how this was probably pretty close to what the first Easter would have been like. And then last year, with, with the, the, the virus still going around, a lot of Christmas gatherings didn't happen. We kept things a little bit more low-key. And as we come around this year, there's some different challenges, obviously. But I think with all of these things that have happened, it has drove us to a deeper meaning behind the seasons, and I'm hoping through this season that we can have more thanks for what we have. We can relinquish some of the hold of materialism that's surrounding Christmas, and we can get back to the the natural order of things in terms of focusing on Christ, and that's a good thing. You know, we go through these various trials, these hardships, these conundrums in life often, and we look to we look to find answers of hope in those situations, in those times where we have difficult decisions to make. You know, and as we continue our series of keeping in step with the Spirit, today's focus is going to be on hope, hope that we have in the Lord, hope in the steps that we take and the direction that we're going, hope in the midst of trials and suffering. So if you have your Bibles, you can open them up to Romans chapter 8. We're going to begin in verse 16 today, kind of catching up a little bit of what we had talked about in last week's message as well. But beginning in verse 16 through verse 30. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God and if children then heirs heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him for i consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us for the creation waits with eager longing for the for the revealing of the sons of god for the creation was subjected to futility not willingly be, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pangs of childbirth until now. And not only creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Father, I pray that you would open up our hearts and minds as we go to your word today. That you would be glorified with our form of worship as we study your truths. In your name we pray. Amen. So, as I read up in the, the prior section, depending on how your Bibles are divided up, um, I kind of wanted to read up ahead a little bit because it's important for our context. You know, this section of Scripture is such a great build up to the pure hope that we have in glorification, and I want us to remember that. You know, as believers, I think that we look to heaven quite often. Even though we can sometimes be caught up in our days and the stresses and the trials that can overtake us, many times we keep heaven at, at the forefront of our vision, right? We, we want to have an eternity perspective as we're walking through this life, as we go on. But, you know, as we've been talking through this series about keeping in step with the Spirit, um, you know, as I've reflected on the messages, I haven't really emphasized the eternity perspective a lot of it's been on sanctification the division that we feel between the flesh and the spirit the battles that we're facing each and every day emphasizing us to be doing the will of god aligning ourselves with his will in our immediate contexts you know and as we We look back on these last messages i know there was a time in galatians where i talked about walking and defining how it's not fancy it's not spectacular but it's progress you have a destination that you're walking towards you know when i think about the end goals and destinations i think about when i used to run long distances i would get to about mile five and i would hit my wall i was drained at that point in time so i would have visuals that were right in front of me make it to that mailbox you know how many steps it takes to get to that barn and then you cross you turn the corner and it's you're in the home stretch you know i couldn't see the end goal because it was a country block i knew where it was but i had to focus on that which was right in front of me while at the same time knowing i needed to get to that full distance on the flip side of that when i started working with my dad when i was 13 in the construction business I didn't have a lot to do, per se, so I would walk around looking for things to do. I was the gopher of the job. Go for that tool, go for that board, go for my lunchbox. Whatever my uncles told me to go for, that's what I had to go do. And I can remember my dad, he had this comment as I was walking around the job site, there's my son walking around aimlessly again. You know what? It hurt but it was truthful. As Christians, we cannot be wandering around aimlessly. We have a target. We have eternity in our minds as we go through our day-to-day things. We run the race that is set before us, and we are running to the Father. It's an exciting thing for us to focus on, for our hope to be in. Now, Paul talks about suffering here. Within the context of what he's talking about, he's talking about general suffering that the earth experiences, that we experience, and it can include any type of suffering. Normally when I describe suffering, it's, especially within this context, it's suffering that comes about because of sin. Uh, Your theologies of suffering, how you understand suffering, usually go back to the fall. And within this passage, it makes that connection as it, it correlates the suffering that the earth is, is going through, how the earth is crying out to be redeemed as well, it takes us back to Genesis 3, understanding the, the consequences and the impact of the fall, how the earth is cursed because of sin. So hopefully we can see with our understanding of suffering how it's linked to death, to decay, to disease, to thorns and thistles and this fallen world. Now, he had, Paul had just gone through in this previous section how the body is, is death, how our mortal bodies are fading away, how there's sin in these bones, and it's destroying our earthly tents. Right? So first off, I want us to understand suffering from this perspective, suffering the pain of death in this life as a consequence from sin, um, the things that we know and love that we have lost along the way. Many of us have experienced great forms of suffering in this life. But our connection to the fall and sin is very important for us to understand. As believers, we have an awareness that suffering comes about because of sin, that death is a consequence of sin, and that guides our understanding. Now, as it says here in verse 17... Provided we suffer with him in order that we might be glorified. Suffering with him. It's not talking about how we need to become martyrs or suffer in a very tragic way. Um, It also doesn't mean because I suffer, I get to be glorified. Glorification comes to those who are in him through faith. You look at the context of many of Paul's letters and he is writing to those who are in Christ, who are in faith, who are believers, who are saints. And part of being in Christ is experiencing suffering, which again, large context, is the daily suffering of our bodies wasting away because of sin. I mean, those of us who are older realize our bodies don't work like they used to when we were younger. You know, we are not promised a life of luxury and comfort here suffering is being able to feel the weight of sin on this world in our lives you know our outer bodies are wearing down but the spirit is getting our inner self life suffering is a prelude to glory the hope that we have in our bodies being redeemed as it says in verse 23. I also want to point out, you know, what we do a lot of times with these verses, when we talk about suffering, we insert the suffering that we are currently going through. Right? So I want you to think about some of the things that you're suffering through right now. Limit it to two or three things. And hear what Paul says about it. Paul says, he's speaking to the suffering presently. He says, What I am suffering through at the present time is not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed in us. It's a truth that we have to hold on to as we face the trials and the hardships in this world, even though it's difficult. It's a form of walking and keeping in step with the Spirit that keeps our eyes focused on the glory to come, on eternity. And again, suffering can be in any form. It could be down to a paper cut, which in that moment is pretty painful. It could be mental suffering. You know, you think of the different vaccine mandates that are coming up and people having to decide, do I take a vaccine or do I keep my job in order to keep my job? You know, the, the mental anguish that comes from that. It could be a severe injury. It could be the loss of a loved one when we're experiencing that pain, that suffering. I almost always connect this verse here in verse 18 down to verse 28 and how all things work together for good. I keep things focused on the glorification to come. Through any suffering or hardship, God can work it together for good even if I don't see that good. With that connection, I relate it to Joseph and the story of Joseph, what happens there. As Joseph says, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Just a side note, and we'll get into it a little bit later. There are a ton of manuscript notes with verse 28. Trying to figure out the subject, moving clauses around, even adding in, in some translations, how God causes all things to work together for good. We need to be careful when it comes to our understanding of causality and suffering and what we might be placing on God because suffering is very hard to go through, and it's very easy to be overcome by the emotions that you're feeling at those times of what's going on right in front of you. It's very easy to be led by those things and then move ourselves into error in how we're thinking. So many times we experience suffering and we cry out, why God? If you're lucky, it stays there. But how often when we're going through these times do we then ask the question, why are you doing this to me, God? Why is this happening to me? And it could be an innocent question where we're seeking understanding, where we want to know more. But if we ever get to the belief that God is causing suffering to happen to me or God is bringing this suffering, then we can be putting suffering and evils on God instead of where it needs to be, us in sin. Remember, suffering and death come about because of the fall, because of our disobedience to God. God allows things to happen and he can work through them, but he does not cause sin and evil. We need to be careful where our theologies can lead us. But sticking with this this verse 18 and the connection down to verse 28 for a moment. Obviously, as we want to keep things in an eternity perspective, many times we think about, well, what about now? How does that help me for the times of suffering that I'm going through right now? You know, through the last few years, I have grieved very deeply. I have gone through this line of questioning. Um, and because sometimes I do process while I'm up here, you get to go along on that journey with me from time to time. Many times, as I'm crying out, I can cross over into errors of thinking for a time because I want to be mad at God, because I'm frustrated. Because of the suffering that I'm going through. I might need to get it out and get it resolved. You know, I believe I've shared before the disdain that I had for Psalm 91, right before Elaine died. The anger that I had at God. And how all of that was dispelled soon after her funeral when I watched a video that she made for me. Speaking about Psalm 91 a year before she died. My anger shifted from God to Elaine because she took my anger away. She was completely right. I knew the truth, but I didn't want to see it because the anger was blinding me. The suffering was blinding me. You know, when we think about those types of things and the processes that we go through, I read from Lamentations today. It's a book where Jeremiah is crying out to God. With his heart, and many times we can live in chapters one and two, but we don't stop there. We get to chapter three, and we realize, and we come back around to God's will and align ourselves with His will. That His love is everlasting, no matter what we're going through. At those times, as I gain understanding, for me, as I'm going through the 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 suffering, I simply pray verse twenty-eight. In my groanings, I don't understand God's will all the time. I might get glimpses here and there, and I don't always like what he shows me. I don't like the revelations that I'm getting because I know how hard it's going to be, how painful it's going to be. But you still get them, and you move forward. I continue to say, I continue to focus on how it says, Lord, I know all things will be worked out for those that love you. So first and foremost, help me love you more. Help me to understand your heart. Help me to see your good in these situations where I can't see them. And when you're in pain, you can say the right things, you can go through the motions, but still not get it, right? You know, if somebody had come up to me and quoted verse 28 in the receiving line, Eddie Lane's funeral. I probably would have tried to punch him because I wasn't ready to hear that at that time. I know the truth, but even Job's friends had enough sense to be quiet for seven days, right? We know the truth, but it's that walking and stepping in it that becomes a hurdle, that becomes a barrier, that becomes vulnerable. Ultimately, what is the good that God works to? It is glorification it is being with him for eternity in the short term what is the good because that's what we're really focused on right here right now because my pain is temporal that's what i'm feeling currently so what is the good in these situations for me i believe more is to be revealed but suffering in this way has opened doors for me to be able to connect with others who are going through intense pain. It's not the ministry I wanted, but it's the ministry where God needs me to be. Because so many people are going through hardship and suffering. And we need to find the hope in the midst of that in God, in his promises and his word. So I continue to pray for the Father's love to give me strength to walk through the hardships with those people. You know, we can relate to the suffering and grief and dealing with that in in terms of the results of sin in this world. Paul makes some different correlations to this suffering. He talks about how the earth is groaning because it is subjected to the futility, that it is also waiting eagerly for the end times so that it can be redeemed just as the saints are. He connects it and he describes the earth's suffering to labor pains. And you think about labor and the pain that you experience, the suffering that you experience then, and how the good that comes from that is that new life that you get to hold, being in your arms. In the same way, the saints, uh, we wait eagerly for the redemption of our bodies, as it says in verse 23. This speaks to the glorification. So we're making a connection there in verse 23, back up to verse 17 and then down to verse 30 as well as it's talking about glorification. It is the hope unto which we were saved. It is the focus of our walks. Until that time, we wait. We hope expectantly. We hope expectantly because the glory that is going to be revealed in us, through us, is going to be greater than any of the suffering that we've experienced here. And I know many of us have been through the ringer when it comes to suffering. We have suffered greatly. But you compare that suffering to the glory of God. And there's really no comparison. When that is your focus, it, it livens you up a little bit. It gives you that extra pep in your step to continue on in that hope for glorification. As Paul says, to live is Christ, but to die, that's gain. Then we're with God for eternity. We're in glorified bodies. The pain the suffering is gone. Suffering, it is a hard road to walk through. But as we've been stressing, as believers, we've been given the Spirit. And the Spirit helps us in so many ways. He gives us strength. He gives us the fruit of the Spirit. He intercedes for us. He helps us in our weaknesses with groanings that are too deep for words. He is our advocate, our go between with the Father. He helps us to understand the Father's will. You know, many times as we are praying, we don't know what to pray. That's our weakness. We're not sure what the Father's will is. So he prays for us. He takes us to the Bible. We spend time in his truth, and he brings that conviction to our minds. He then gives us the strength to be able to take the necessary steps as we trust and lean on him, growing in his image to have our minds renewed. You know, the focus for the most part through this series has been on sanctification, it's been on our walk. With the Father. uh, And we've gone through the different passages that have stressed the struggles that people have in their life, the battles that we experience between the flesh and the spirit. And now in chapter eight, we see this shift near the end of this chapter, where the focus is more on the promises and hope of God in His will. Now, when we look at verses 29 and 30, there's a lot here to dissect, to understand within these verses. Too much for this message. Um, There are theologies and debates surrounding the meanings of these verses, the definitions of these terms. Prominently what has stuck around has been the, the thoughts and ideas of John Calvin and John Wesley with their takes. And really from this point through chapter 11 in Romans, we find a deep divide interpretation within the church um, in terms of how they understand it and and for most of us I say when it comes to the the Calvinism Arminianism or any other ism type of debate we kind of already have our side that we gravitate towards the ways that we understand these verses these terms and what's going on and and again really what it comes down to is the, the definitions and how we're understanding these terms and what they mean today i simply want to acknowledge the difficulties within the texts Um, i also want to acknowledge that just because something's been popular for the last three or three or four hundred years doesn't mean it was the only way to approach the text or interpret the text i think that we all agree that there is one interpretation to the text it's a good thing that we have it right sarcasm So I'm going to try to punt around this controversy a little bit, not really address one side as right or wrong. I'm going to attempt to stay within the context to understand these verses, which might bring out a different interpretation, oh joy. But it's a little bit deeper, and I want you to stick with me as best as you're able um, as I try to articulate this. You know, as we've been talking about suffering through this part of the passage, what Paul is doing in chapter 8 is relaying the hope that we can have in God. The hope that there is no longer condemnation. Back up in verse 1. Jesus has paid it all. And because of that, we have hope that we will be glorified. He addresses and he acknowledges the suffering that people experience And he is giving them hope by relating how the earth, too, is suffering. How it is waiting for redemption. So he is telling the readers to press on until our bodies are redeemed. We have hope because the Spirit is in you. He intercedes for you. And we know that for all those who love God, all things work together for good. So looking at that verse looking at that word, we know. This phrase is the same phrase that's used up in verse 22 about how we know about the earth. So with the same phrase, it's in the same form, meaning it has the same level of meaning. He is speaking about past experiences, past observations. We have observed, therefore we know is kind of the force of the meaning here. Paul is calling the reader to lean on the past and how God has redeemed people from the past, how he was intimately involved in their lives as their God and they as his people. 1 Corinthians 8, verse 3, says, whoever loves God is known by God. Whoever loves God is known by God. Rereading verse 28 here in Romans. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Connecting verse 28 to that verse in 1 Corinthians 8. Known. Well, as we connect it, we look at those who love God. Then we look at this word, known. Known. I believe that would have the same force of the Hebrew understanding of the term yada which means to know intimately to know deeply. Why is that important? Well, when you take the most basic translation of the word prognosko for new in verse 29 in its simplest form it does not mean to foreordain or foresee but it means to know formally or to know beforehand. So in this sense, this is a deep, intimate knowledge. Paul, I believe, is speaking of the Old Testament saints, those known by God who loved him, where Paul is reflecting on God's faithfulness to the generations in order to instill hope for those people in Rome who are still going through suffering at that present time. Those he foreknew, Past tense. He predestined. Past tense. Now again, not trying to step in the mess, but these are the two biggest terms. These are the ones that we focus on. Our understandings of foreknowledge and predestination. Predestination simply is to destine before. To have a destination already planned out. So this means that the destiny of the elect, the lovers of God, Those who are in him is already planned out. They have a predestination. And here in the text, what is that destination? It is to be conformed to the image of the Son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. God predestined those who are foreknown, those in faith in Jesus, to be conformed to the image of his Son. Now, context is always key. Look at the phrase, might be. Let me ask you as a believer, on this side of the cross, is Jesus the firstborn? I think as believers we undoubtedly say yes. So why does Paul say, might be, here? Again, with this verse speaking in the past tense, very simply, I think that it's, he's still referencing the Old Testament saints who were to be a blessing to the people around them. That was the calling that they had received way back from Abraham's time. Um, they are to be, they, those who loved God were conformed into the image of Christ before he came in human form so that he might be the firstborn. Now, stay with me on this past tense thing because it's going to be pretty important here coming up. But Israel was to be God's spokesman to the world. They were to tell of the coming Messiah and the hope of redemption that was to come through him. That was their calling as the elected chosen nation of God. Those he predestined, he called. Those he called, he justified. Those whom he justified, he glorified. All past tense, right? So if this is not speaking of the Old Testament saints, why would glorified be in the past tense? Now, because most of us believe the Bible is written just for us, we have the understanding that it just means it's a done deal. That's all God is saying there. But let's go back up to verse 17. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified in verse 17 he is speaking presently to the roman readers in the greek this is where it gets a little deeper sorry but in the greek this is a subjunctive errorist meaning it presents a hypothetical future That's in verse 17. In verse 30, it is an aorist active indicative, meaning it is completed in the past. So again, I believe Paul is addressing the suffering that the people are walking through currently, and he is pointing them back to the confidence and hope that is in scriptures of the generations that come before to see the faithfulness of God, to be true to his promises and to his people, that he does What he says. Any done deal is found, and the certainty is found in God and God alone. He is the one who has fully redeemed those whom he foreknew, knew formally, knew intimately. And again, we have to understand that knowledge, that depth of that term, especially in the Hebrew. We too, as he says, we know in several places, we too can observe through scriptures that God keeps his word, that he keeps his promises. Therefore, we place our hope and trust in him that those who love him, for those who love him, everything will work out for good, that good being glorification. Now, I know it might sound weird or kind of crazy because it might go against everything that you have learned and believed in your whole life when concerning this topic. But for me, this is the simplest reading within the context of this passage, of what Paul is writing about. You know, for all of the the hoopla surrounding these verses in chapter 9 in Romans, we have to understand that any side of the debate will try to intertwine other theologies, other thoughts, And read them into the texts to make them say what they already believe personally i believe that kelvin arminius wesley all had good thoughts but they were just men and women like us who have the spirit of god and are following his leader we too can study the scriptures just the same these two men are not the end-all be-all of theology nor are the popular pastors of today God is the focus he is where our hope is in not in our thoughts about God but in his truth in his word that's where we need to be grounded not trying to defend other people's viewpoints or beliefs because that can get very dangerous in our theologies where, it's, where we need to be careful I'll just kind of give this warning in terms of especially foreknew and predestined is this idea of determinism and causality. Um, Foreordaining. You know, does God determine things? Yes. Does he determine everything? I say no. Because when you get to that point in your theology, you are then placing suffering and evils on God and I don't think that's the right place. I think suffering and evil has to be placed on sin, on us. Again, God can allow things to happen, but he is not controlling us like robots, forcing us to do the evil things. We have been given a free will for that point. And again, I understand that there could be disagreements with that. You know, I do not believe that God is over us with a magnifying glass, shining things down on us. I think suffering happens because of sin in this world, and sin is on us. We cannot blame God for those things. He is not the cause, especially in the individualistic sense. He gave the boundary, and the consequence that came because of that was death. We disobeyed that. Within these verses, I think that God's will can clearly be seen. The ultimate end is to bring everyone who has been justified in Christ into glory. Our assurance rests solely on him, on his promises. We can observe the promises through scripture and how God has fulfilled them through the great cloud of witnesses that has gone before us. We can trust in Him and place our hope in Him as we go through suffering in this world. And that gives us a tremendous amount of hope and confidence to take those next steps forward. As we keep in step with the Spirit, as we go down roads of suffering, hardships, or trials, we wait patiently and eagerly for the hope of redemption that comes from God. We are to take steps that lead in that direction whose end goal is glorification. There will be hardships along the way, some that we would never foresee or want to have have happened. But God is faithful to not leave us nor forsake us. We continue to love him and put our hope and trust in him, for we are known by him. He is our Abba. He is our Father. Let us pray. Father, as we contemplate these verses, as we contemplate your word, and what it means in terms of the end goal, glorification, and the suffering that we experience here, Lord, I pray that you would open up our hearts and minds to love you more, to know you well, to understand your will and purposes. Lord, I pray that you would help guide us on our road of discovering more of you, in our theologies and our doctrines, that you would help us to magnify you at all turns. Lord, this is heavy stuff that we're talking about today, and I pray that you would bring clarity and understanding, that you would bring wisdom. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.